Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Texas, Arizona, the fall classic is here. Now, if you at the start of the season had gone to Bet Online Sportsbook, used our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, and gotten your 50% welcome bonus using the link in the description to this episode, you could have gotten the Texas Rangers at plus 5,000 to win the World Series and the Arizona Diamondbacks at plus 6,600 as world champions. Diamondbacks had the 25th best odds. Texas had the 20th best odds. If you want to take a stab at the World Series now, bet online sportsbook, use our promo code BLEAVE to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It's a fantabulous NFL Monday here on the show. I hope you all are having a fantabulous week, a fantabulous day. However, and whenever you might be stopping in, we appreciate that you have decided to stop in here with us. It's our NFL Monday show. Uh, We call it NFL Monday week 10 and a half because it's week 11 in college football and week 10 in the NFL. We're going to talk about Kyler Murray because in a week that was devoid of top teams, I know last week we talked about how the NFL had four matchups that featured eight of the 11 best teams in the sport playing against each other. Well, on the flip side, this week we had matchups in which Three of the 11 teams in the league were playing this week, it felt like, because you had the Eagles on by, you had the Kansas City on by, you had the Dolphins on by, the Buffalo Bills play on Sunday night, and we record this in the little break in between the end of the afternoon games and before Sunday night football starts. So, all right, the Bills play on Monday night this week. I think the Jets and Chargers or Jets and Raiders or something play on Sunday night football. By the way, why is every Monday night football game either Raiders or Chargers this year? I I genuinely don't understand why the NFL has it set up that way. But yeah, it felt like only a handful. Oh yeah, also the Cowboys were playing against Tommy DeVito's Giants. And I loved that uh, the NFL was trying so desperately to sell us on Tommy DeVito's Giants being something that we should be watching. Uh, even Fox made one of those cutesy graphics for Tommy DeVito too, which I guarantee you they had to call up whoever their artist was that was putting together those cutesy Fox graphics and have them design a Tommy DeVito Giants 
you know, cartoon animation for the the primetime America's Game of the Week Fox broadcast. But even in a week that was devoid of content, we had an incredible, incredible game between the Houston Texans and the Cincinnati Bengals that delivered on all of our promises and all of our joys. And both of these teams are very confusing this year. Like, the Houston Texans were a team that, like every AFC South team, we said coming out the gate, if I told you any of those teams in the AFC South would be a scrappy 7-10, and 10, you'd believe that at the start of the season. And now the Houston Texans not only have won five of their last seven games and not only have the has the worst-run organization in all of professional football, for four in year four of a five-year rebuild, which by the way, the NFL legislates parity so much, five-year rebuilds aren't really a thing that exists in the NFL. You can't be bad for five consecutive seasons. Like the Texans were able to be that bad since 2020 because they traded away all of their future draft capital and they traded away all of their talented players at below market value whether you talk about giving away deandre hopkins for virtually nothing cutting jj watt out of respect and letting him go where he wanted to go like the houston texans have been poorly run for four years now and now they've won five out of seven games in a row they have the shoe-in rookie of the year who i've heard multiple people saying is having the, the greatest rookie season of any rookie quarterback in the history of the nfl Uh, They beat the Cincinnati Bengals pretty convincingly for like three quarters of that game. They they tried to piss it away at the end with C.J. Stroud throwing an essential pick six at the end of the game, which I know you can bag on a guy for throwing a pick six when his team has a 10-point lead, but that seemed to be a theme of this week's football games. Looking at you, Lamar Jackson throwing a pick six with your team up two scores, just absolutely, again, like I've been saying, Ravens, being a Ravens fan has to be freaking infuriating at this point. It just has to be so infuriating to be a Ravens fan, to know that your team is great and also that your team is not great enough. Every nerd stat says the Ravens are the best team in football and they've pissed away like three wins this year. Anyways, we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is CJ Stroud trying to piss away that game for the Texans by throwing a pick six and then going three and out on the following possession while preventing the Bengals the Bengals didn't have any timeouts at that point, but still saving them two and a half minutes to go down the field. If not for Tyler Boyd dropping a touchdown in the end zone, the Texans don't end up winning that game. But what's really interesting is that the Texans now find themselves winning five of their last seven games, and the Houston Texans are in a position where if they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in two weeks— at home, in a game that I imagine they won't be that big of underdogs, if they're underdogs at all. I mean, the point spread will be within three points no matter what. I think that's the takeaway we can point to. The point spread will be within three no matter which direction it goes between Houston and Jacksonville in two weeks. Like, the Texans are in a position to steal the AFC South, and that's kind of weird to think about when we're talking about the Houston Texans because... The Houston Texans were supposed to be the team that might be a scrappy 7-10. and 10. That similar to when the Arizona Cardinals first drafted Kyler Murray, they were you know covering the spread in a lot of games, but they weren't good enough to actually get the wins in a lot of these games. And so the Texans have now beaten the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
on a last-second touchdown drive. They beat the Cincinnati Bengals pretty handily. They needed a last-second field goal to win the game, but it again, they had dominated that game for three quarters. And the Houston Texans now find themselves in a position where they're now like a year ahead of schedule on the five-year rebuild. And the part of the reason why they're a year ahead of schedule on the five-year rebuild, beyond C.J. Stroud being a rookie of the year who is going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL for the next 10 years. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. If he's doing it with this team that now has four receivers that are in the top 20 in offensive yards this year, which is crazy to think about. They have four receivers who are top 20 in receiving yards between Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz, the reject Cowboys, the guys who the Cowboys said they didn't want and went to to Houston. Noah Brown has had an excellent season. The uh, Dalton Schultz is looking like Mark Andrews 2.0, but he looked like that in the Cowboys offense. He's gone to Houston and has continued to play like that. And imagine if I had told you in 2021 that the Ravens let Mark Andrews walk, given all the receiver help that they need. Mark Andrews has look uh, Mark Andrews look alike. Dalton Schultz has been excellent. There in Dallas, one of the better tight ends in the NFL, or in Houston, one of the better tight ends in the NFL. You have Noah Brown, you have Tank Dell, the rookie who is a pretty good, like, so Tank Dell is in this interesting position where he's not going to be a number one receiver right away, but because of the offense and because of their desperate need for a number one receiver, and remember, they were the team that drafted John Mechie, Back in 2022, and John Mechie uh, went through uh, was diagnosed with cancer prior to his rookie season, and he hasn't really been able to crack the rotation because it felt like the coaching staff previously, or the multiple coaching staffs previously, were the ones committed to Mechie and his development. And this new coaching staff basically said, we're going to bring in four completely new receivers, and Mechie wasn't really a part of their plans, which quietly has gone under the radar, like the feel-good story of John Mechie. Mechie coming back from his cancer diagnosis hasn't really been allowed to flourish because of the turmoil with the Houston Texans organization, but Tank Dell comes in now and he fills that void that they had originally planned for John Mechie to fill or had originally planned for Brandon Cooks to fill. He's been excellent so far this year, so the Houston Texans find themselves in a... Oh, and also you have Nico Collins, who again is one of those... I call it like DJ Chark purgatory where it's like he can be a number one receiver, but he's really better off if he's your number two or three. Like you'd feel better about your offense if he was your number two or your number three. And so the Texans are in this interesting position where they have four players who are really, really good at the receiver position, a rookie of the year quarterback, an offensive line that has Laramie Tunsil and a former first-round pick out for season in Kenyon Green and a handful of people mixed in there. And the Texans have somehow jumped the gun on that. Like, they fast-tracked this rebuilding process to support C.J. Stroud, and I don't think a lot of us expected it to look like five wins in seven games and them having a chance to win the AFC South as long as they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars at home on November 26th. Like they are they are in the driver's seat to potentially win that division if they can get that win against Jacksonville. And so it's interesting to see it happen in real time that the the fast tracking of the rebuilding process, the trading your first round pick for Will Anderson Jr. last year. And by the way, the defense hasn't been very good for the Texans. I'll put that out there too. This has been an offensive explosion for Houston 
and if they played in like six of the other eight divisions in the NFL, they wouldn't be in a position to potentially win the division quite like this. But I say all of this to say the Houston Texans have fast-tracked the rebuilding process after it looked like they were in a five-year rebuild, after it looked like they were going to have their fifth different coach within four years come in uh, with D'Amico Ryans, and it was going to be devoid of talent but D'Amico had the connection, and so apparently... I We laughed about it in March. I laughed at that job. D'Amico Ryans had any job he wanted in the league. I laughed at the idea that the Houston job was more desirable than the Broncos' job because the Broncos wanted D'Amico Ryans, and when D'Amico Ryans told them no, they pivoted to Sean Payton and paid him all of that money and paid him, uh, gave up the first-round pick in order to acquire him. They, D'Amico Ryans was more coveted than Sean Payton, and we're starting to see the results of that for a team that I thought coming into the season was still two or three games away from being in this position that they are right now, being two or three years away from winning five out of seven games, if everything went right, winning five out of seven games and potentially beating the Jacksonville Jaguars in two weeks to lock up a division title. I think that's a really interesting pivot that the Texans find themselves in. And they were the game of the week. They were in a week that was very boring, or, or not boring, I should say. It was a game that was, it was a week that was a lot of mid versus mid, and it developed, it, led to a lot of matchups that were very exciting because mid versus mid in the NFL can lead to some crazy bullshit games. Looking at you, Jameis Winston, welcome back into our lives. I missed you so, so much. But again, mid versus mid created some chaos games like Saints versus Vikings and Texans versus Bengals, which I walk away from that with the Bengals and saying like, I... I think the Bengals' symptoms and problems are bigger than just Joe Burrow because in a year that doesn't have a true MVP frontrunner, Joe Burrow has played at an MVP level for a month of the season. And playing at an MVP level for a month of the season means absolutely nothing. It does nothing for Joe Burrow and his chances to actually get the MVP. But I think just getting Joe Burrow back from injury was not the only thing that was plaguing the Cincinnati Bengals. Their defense has been middle of the pack this season. They've had injuries to all three of their receivers at various times during the year. Like, there are just bigger problems that I don't know the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be able to work through. And, oh, by the way, they happen to be last place in the best division in football. So they're pr- they're going to have to probably go 6 and 2 the rest of the season in order to get to the playoffs. 5 and 3 you're playing fire with the tiebreakers cuz I think it's going to be like 9-10 wins gets you in the playoffs in this year's AFC. So you're playing with tiebreakers at 10 and 7, but the Bengals are in this interesting position where they are going to have to beat some teams that are at the top of the sport late into the season and I don't really know what the what I don't really think that Joe Burrow is the fix-all for this team. I think they have problems that are symptomatic. Like, they have injuries and uh, have lost a lot of talent on defense that they haven't been able to replace with internal draft picks. Joseph Asai has been out for the season. Um, Logan Wilson has been an excellent draft pick. But they also subtract Von Bell and Jesse Bates in the secondary and haven't really found a strong replacement for either of those guys. Like, there are problems that are more... 
symptomatic of larger issues in Cincinnati that will prevent them from getting back to the AFC Championship, and in this year's case, maybe prevent them from getting to the playoffs in the first place. I think it's a real possibility that the Bengals are on the outside looking in on this playoff race at the end of the season, and it won't be because of Joe Burrow. You could say that the the first four games of the season are more emblematic of that, but I don't really know how to navigate the Bengals when you're talking about a team that does have these flaws and is going up against the voodoo magic of Mike Tomlin and the sexual predator in Cleveland and Baltimore, who again is the best team in the NFL, and it must be so goddamn infuriating that at the end of all of that, they're only one game better than the Cincinnati Bengals going into a Thursday night football game where the Bengals are going to Baltimore, and if the Bengals get that upset, Baltimore is now out of the playoffs. It's so stupid, Baltimore is so good, and it must be goddamn infuriating to be in that position if you're Baltimore. But from the Cincinnati standpoint, we'll see what ends up coming of that. Chaos Games birthed out of this week, and the the, the biggest takeaway I had from it is, shout out to you, Houston Texans, for after years of jokes about how they were the worst-run organization in football and about how they put themselves in a position to always be... Uh, not just be the worst team in football, but fueling three different organizations' most successful runs of the last 15 years in the Dolphins, Cleveland, and the Arizona Cardinals by being terrible for five years. Houston has jumped the gun, and they're about a year faster than I thought they would be in part because because of three things. One, C.J. Stroud being the quarterback that every team hopes to get at the top of the draft. Two, D'Amico Ryan's actively choosing that job and three the willingness to completely reinvent their offense in a season that looked like it was going to be lost from the very get-go So we just got the announcement from Jonathan Gannon that Kyler Murray will be starting this week for the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals, one win on the season, one and eight. Uh, we thought that they might be getting themselves into the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. We thought there was a chance that we never see Kyler Murray at all this season. Week 10, here we are. We're getting to see Kyler Murray go out there on the field, play some games. And we know Kyler Murray, when he has been healthy in the past, has been a game-changing talent. Uh, Kyle, what are your expectations for him the rest of this season, knowing that he might be playing for his job in Arizona? Yeah, I don't know what to expect because this is such a unique situation. Uh, Since the very beginning, they had planned for Kyler Murray to come back this week. Uh, This is according to some expertise and inside knowledge that I have with the Cardinals organization. Uh, The plan had always been to like activate him in week seven from the pup list and then give him essentially a three-week training camp to build up to this game at home against the Atlanta Falcons. Now the communication and how we got here has been really wonky by the Cardinals. Cause they said on Monday of last week that Josh Dobbs was going to be the starter for the next week. And then they said Clayton tune was going to be the starter. And then like 24 hours later, Josh Dobbs was traded. So it's been a, a very confusing way to get to this point with the Cardinals, but they have basically followed the plan that they had in line since the start of the year of Kyler coming back for this week of the season. And at the start of the season, if you had said the Cardinals would have the worst record in the NFL come this week of the season, 
think most people would believe it, right? They thought the Cardinals were tanking and tearing this thing to the ground and not really giving Kyler Murray the best support system. But Kyler Murray is their franchise quarterback for now, and uh, they are committed to putting him in the best position to succeed after already putting him in a terrible position to succeed by like getting rid of the coach and getting rid of the receivers and tearing down the roster and everything else. So besides all of that stuff, they are now committed to putting him in the best position to succeed with like the two deck like in a deck of cards like we're giving him the best hand possible after already throwing out 46 of the cards in the deck so now <laughs> we'll see what happens once they've given him nothing to work with they they are committed to putting him in the position to succeed for eight weeks see i wouldn't talk about getting rid of cliff kingsbury as such a con in this discussion i don't think that that's but they a went real and net hired negative. jonathan gannon that's the thing they went and hired well, gannon afterwards don't, and don't by the disrespect way, the pew pew guy don't disrespect jonathan gannon and his pew pews he's the 32nd highest paid coach in the nfl their offensive coordinator is in his first time ever calling yeah. plays for an nfl offense and that would be drew petzing which by the way has come with pretty damn mixed results because for the past yeah. what is it five weeks the Cardinals have gone from being the 16th ranked offense in the NFL after the 49ers game to the 29th ranked offense in the NFL. So it's been brutal. Uh, I also looked up this stat so far this year of how futile the Cardinals are. The Cardinals have played more quarters this season in which they scored zero points than quarters in which they scored any amount of points. <laughs> they scored zero points in 19 quarters. They have scored any amount of points in 17 quarters. So it has been futile on offense they have depending on which metric you look at the 32nd or 31st ranked defense in the nfl it has been a brutal brutal season for the cardinals and now we're going to insert a quarterback that they just paid 180 million dollars fully guaranteed to about 15 months ago so the cardinals this season they started off at least the first four weeks as one of the scrappier teams in the nfl and I think a lot of people are starting to change their tune on Jonathan Gannon in the sense that they thought it seemed like he was motivating these guys to play for him. Like guys came in, they were hitting hard. They were a physical team. What they did to the Cowboys in that week three game uh, kind of turned a lot of heads like, okay, their team might have something there. We don't know what they have, but they might have something. Um, so what's changed in the last four weeks? Well, J James Conner has been hurt. For a significant portion of that, I think that James Conner, when you look when they were having the most success this season, when they you mentioned they were the 16th ranked at one point on offense, James Conner was healthy during that stretch. James Conner has been out since that stretch, and I think that that has severely hindered them. You also mentioned you had a Clayton Tooney game in there as well. You can kind of say that that probably diminished a lot of their stats. Obviously, what the Browns were able to do to them this past week push them around, make them look incompetent. That's took a big hit to any stat line they had for the season. So if I was to take out that game and I was to reinsert the games with James Conner back into the mix, I would say they might be closer to that. And I do consider that Kyler Murray is an upgrade over Joshua Dobbs. Even if you're not a big Kyler Murray fan, I think most people would agree he's an upgrade over Joshua Dobbs. So I get Kyler and I get James Conner back. And I get a roll through the rest of the season with that group of guys. Um, is Hollywood Brown still active for them or is he like hurt too? Yeah, he's still out there. No, he's still yeah. there. Yeah. So they, I mean, they still have a little bit to work with. 
And we talked about this in another video when we talked about who's going to get the number one overall draft pick. I think I can see the Cardinals winning a couple games more this season, at least one. They played the Bears a little later in the season. Uh, They have another game against the Rams. If you told me Kyler came out and was his normal headache to deal with on defense, because Kyler Murray, he's a problem sometimes. The fact that he's able to scramble around, move the pocket, um, he still has a good arm because, hey, he had a lower leg injury. He didn't have a injury to his arm. He still has that cannon on his right shoulder, you know? So I think that he's still going to be able to do that and make some plays. They're going to win some games in which they shouldn't just because they do have a quarterback that can do some crazy bullshit sometimes. Um, I go back to that game against the Raiders last year where they were down like 20 points and Kyler had that one play where he had like, uh, what, 50, 60 yards just to make the 10 yard completion for the touchdown. Like Kyler Murray, the fact that he could do that, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, banking on a knee injury kind of reducing a little bit of that. But still, I think that Kyler Murray has enough talent to at least will this team to a little bit more than what they've done through this early one and eight stretch of the season. And James Conner, if he's back and healthy and running like he did at the start of the season, I don't know. I, I think that there's something to this team especially when I compare them against, again, the lower part of the teams on the lower end of the spectrum as well. Yeah. And it's interesting because Jonathan Gannon's job is tied to Kyler Murray at this point. Like if they bring in a new quarterback, they are not keeping the head coach in order to develop that new quarterback. And I think that that's still probably up in the air on which direction the Cardinals are going to go from this point forward. And yeah, I, I think I think they would be best served committing to Kyler Murray because Kyler Murray has shown you evidence that he can be a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he's his QBR numbers for his career right now, I believe, are 15th his rookie year, then 11th and then 7th in the league. And then he dropped down to 19th in that last year where him and Cliff Kingsbury actively hated each other and did not talk to each other for 10 weeks during the season, which is a real thing that is reported to have happened. According to Jeremy Fowler, the quarterback coach was the mediator between Kyler and cliff for about 10 weeks before Kyler tore his ACL and just left the team at the, at that point. But the Cardinals are in a very interesting position where the quarterback and the head coach are now tied to each other, even though they've never played a single game with each other. The the sample size of evaluation is going to be very small on Jonathan Gannon at this point. And by the way, organizationally, they've committed to a rebuild, and so they haven't put these people in the best position to succeed. It's a very interesting circumstance that they find themselves in. Uh, The other part of it is Hollywood Brown is playing for a contract right now, and him and Kyler Murray are college buddies who work out together in the offseason and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, Hollywood Brown is playing for his future on the Arizona Cardinals at this point. So it feels like everything's up in the air in Arizona. All these options are on the table and a lot of it is going to be contingent on what draft pick they end up getting. But I also don't think that eight games is really enough of a sample size to to do a proper evaluation on the future direction of your franchise. You're kind of just guessing blind and putting your faith in Monty Ossenfort, the general manager, and Dave Sears, the assistant GM, on how much they like Kyla Murray, how much they'd be willing to sacrifice to tear this thing to the ground and start over again. Because I think their hope is that this year is going to be the worst of the losing. I think their hope is that this will be the highest draft pick they have, regardless of how the season ends. Now, you didn't mention the improvements in Kyler Murray over the years. And I think a big part of that was when they acquired DeAndre Hopkins, because Kyler Murray's stats with and without DeAndre Hopkins on the field 
are very jarring. Like, I don't have them in front of me to be able to kind of like just spout them off. But I'll give you one real quick off the top of my head. Last year, when DeAndre Hopkins was suspended for the six games, and then when Hopkins came back and Kyler tore his ACL in week 13, in just the six weeks that they had together, and Hollywood Brown got hurt, I think, in like week eight of that year. So like Hollywood Brown and DeAndre Hopkins played like 100 snaps together in their entire Cardinal career, which is just really messed up that they only got 100 snaps with both of those receivers. In those six games, DeAndre Hopkins had the most receptions in the NFL during that six-game stretch with Kyler Murray, a season that was a complete catastrophe. DeAndre Hopkins was number one in the NFL in receptions during just those six weeks, and that was the worst of the three seasons they had together. Yeah, so again, no DeAndre there now. Now he will have only Hollywood Brown and, you know, obviously some complimentary pieces around that. Like, do you think that Kyler Murray his NFL future could potentially be screwed over by this because let's say again, we mentioned the possibility the Cardinals could be drafting a quarterback that next team that acquires him. Do you think it's fair to base Kyler's value off of a team that didn't really set up this roster well for him to succeed coming off of the injury? That's what's so interesting about this situation is that not only if the Cardinals are committed to drafting a quarterback, not only would they then have to move Kyler Murray everyone in the league would know that they're trying to move Kyler Murray and know that in order to do it, the Cardinals would have to absorb some of the money on his contract, right? They would like, no team is going to trade for Kyler Murray at $48 million per year. Or I think it's like goes up to 59 next season for Kyler. No one's going to pay that for Kyler Murray. So the Cardinals would have to pay that down to 40 million a year or 35 million a year, maybe even less than that, depending on what a team is, is willing to take on and how much, Also, the Cardinals would be willing to eat in money in order to get a better draft pick. Like, this is all a complicated game that gets very, very confusing if the Cardinals choose the the path of most resistance, which is we're going to pivot off of Kyler Murray and draft Caleb Williams. Like, if they make that call, I I mean... I wouldn't do it personally, but if they do decide to make that call, it's going to get very complicated for an organization that has dropped the ball at basically every turn. So where does Kyler Murray rank in the NFL? Assuming that he comes back healthy, where does he rank in the NFL and quarterbacks at this moment? Like what tier is he falling in? Because we've, we've seen that he's like, he obviously moved down and then we saw the insertion of newer quarterbacks into that upper tier above him like you know i'm thinking off the top of my head obviously i know patrick mahomes is better i think josh allen is still better i think lamar's still better Jalen hurts i think has surpassed him obviously joe burrow is better trevor lawrence i would take today above him um kirk cousins if he was healthy i would take above him dak questionable but i think that they are similar so we could have a, a stat discussion there I'm forgetting people. I mean, CJ Stroud is really good too. Yes, Jared Goff. Jared Goff would be the top NFC quarterback right now today, I would say. Well, Geno Smith has been interesting. Like, I think, I think Kyler is still better than Geno, but you know, I, I think that Geno Smith is still there. Deshaun is still, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to really make of him since he's come back. He, he was closer to, closer to five at one point, but now he's what, closer to 15? 
Probably. I mean, at the start of the year, when I do quarterback rankings, just to kind of like make my life a little bit easier, I put him in the please ask me again in 2024 category. Like, I just don't know where to put it. Yeah, Daniel Jones and Geno Smith were all in that category for me, which was like, I don't know. Please ask me again once I have a larger sample. I I guess I'm asking this because, you know, it's going to play a part in what he gets. If he if the Cardinals do decide to go quarterback next year, what he gets traded for next year. Like, is he still a first round draft pick? Is he multiple twos? How does he relate to some of the other quarterback trades that we've seen in recent years? You know, like that that's kind of like where I'm just trying to figure out where does he still rank in the NFL? Because that's going to play a big part in what he gets traded for. That's the thing that's so strange, what he ultimately gets traded for. And I don't want to jump the gun on the trading for thing, because, again, I think the Cardinals best course of action would be to support Kyler Murray and give him two years to, to prove that he deserves another contract. Now, granted, they might not do that, but that's what I would choose as the course of action for the Cardinals because I've seen this man make more career Pro Bowls than Matthew Stafford. However, I think that Kyler Murray's value in a trade has nothing to do with what he will actually get traded for because the Cardinals have to make the call. If if a team is offering a first-round pick, but we have to eat... $20 $20 million on the contract is $20 million worth jumping from a second round pick to a first round pick is, is eating an extra $15 million worth an extra third round pick. These are decisions the Cardinals have to make. And by the way, this cheap ass organization has said before that they value money over draft picks because they could have had a fifth round pick for Deandre Hopkins. If they were willing to eat $14 million on his contract. And they said, screw that. We're just going to cut him. We don't even care about the draft compensation. We we could get a free extra draft pick if we just paid this amount of money. And they said, F it, we would just rather protect the money and just cut DeAndre Hopkins outright after the draft. So what Kyler Murray gets traded for has nothing to do with what his actual value is. It's all going to be a game of what leverage do we have, what teams are interested, and how much are we willing to trade off money eating on the contract because no one's going to trade for Kyler Murray at $50 million a year. How much are we willing to eat and pay down on the contract in exchange for extra draft compensation, which is kind of the same game the Jets were playing last year with Aaron Rodgers. And you saw how complicated that transaction ended up becoming when it came down to Aaron Rodgers going from the Packers to the Jets. So just because Kyler Murray's worth X amount of money doesn't necessarily mean that's what he's going to make. And just because Kyler Murray is worth X amount of draft compensation doesn't mean that's what the Cardinals may ultimately trade him for. So the Cardinals back when Kyler Murray first got drafted, they were also a team on the downslide. And in 2019, his quarterback record was 5-10-1. So again, going into that conversation, whether or not the Cardinals can still win games with him down the stretch, I would say... Yeah, I think there might be a couple games that get flipped towards the end of this and there might knock him out of the top five. It might not looking around again at the other teams that are in that mix. There's certainly teams with more incentive to lose games and worse talent that could potentially um, that would could potentially jump the Cardinals in this mix. Uh, They set themselves up well with only one win through the early part of the season. But um, yeah, based off his rookie numbers. Um, in relation to where this team is talent-wise to where this team was talent-wise in 2019, I, I think that there's still an opportunity for them to win some games here. There's definitely a chance for them to win some games here. And 
support Kyler Murray the way that they probably should have supported him from the beginning. But, you know, once he tore his ACL and once everything started going to shit last year, they just decided, well, we got to save some money. So if we're going to pay Cliff Kingsbury and pay Steve Kime to go away and pay Kyler Murray to not play, then we're just going to have a shell organization for a season. So we'll see what happens with the Cardinals. Again, I think the best game plan would be to support Kyler Murray and keep some of these players around. And, you know, you've already done the bulk of the hard losing. You're going to have two first round picks this year. Let's see if you can uh, rebuild this thing without having to tear it all to the ground and spend four years rebuilding like the Texans did. What are your expectations for Kyler Murray coming back off of his ACL injury? I'd like to hear where you, what you're thinking about this in the comment section. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. All right, it is that time of the week where we hand out the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, where every week we keep track of which NFL quarterbacks found themselves down by six with no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to go the length of the field in order to win the game. A purgatory that is the exclusive domain of the Minnesota Vikings, because even when the Minnesota Vikings are winning football games, their opponents are down eight, no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to go the length of the field. So shout out to you, Jameis Winston, for returning to our lives, throwing a ridiculous cross-field two-point conversion length touchdown, and then throwing two interceptions at the end of the game that, again, further my hypothesis that Jameis Winston finds himself perfecting the art of the interception during his 30-touchdown, 30-interception season, of which that was our first year covering football here on the podcast, and we had so much, so much fun with Jameis Winston throwing 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. But Jameis Winston perfected the art of the interception and is now inventing new ways to throw interceptions like he did at the end of that Vikings game on two separate ridiculous occasions. But that is not the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for this week. Nor is it Jordan Love who found himself in a true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation as well. So shout out to you, Jordan Love. Down four, no timeouts, one minute to play, trying to lead a game-winning drive against the Steelers. It led to an interception on a final play 25 yards away, but you did your very bestest, Jordan Love, in Kirk Cousins purgatory. But the Mike Tomlin voodoo magic will always reign supreme. No, no, no. We're going to talk about the thing that I wanted to discuss for 45 minutes on today's show, which is... Bailey Zappi and the New England Patriots, who scored six fucking points in Germany against the Colts, ending the game, and potentially ending Bill Belichick's Patriots career. I know he wasn't going to get fired, but there was the Ben Volen report that they could fire him on the tarmac in Germany after losing this game against the Colts. Motherfucking Bailey Zappi invented the fake spike interception to end the game in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. Because they were down four, no timeouts, 30 seconds to play, and needing to go 80 yards. Did Bailey Zappi spike the ball? 
No, he did not. He did a fake spike, threw the ball into triple coverage, and it got intercepted. It was the funniest moment of the entire football season. My bet is about to run out, but I need to talk more about this ridiculous play. So Bailey Zappi, you get your first career Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Yeah, let's talk about this goddamn play, because this was amazing. I joked a second ago about Jameis Winston perfecting the art of the interception and therefore now spending the rest of his career inventing new ways to throw ridiculously funny interceptions. Bailey Zappi... Bailey Zappi changed the game today. He changed the Kirk Cousins purgatory game forever, because Kirk Cousins is upset. He didn't think of this... Jameis Winston is upset that he never got a chance to try this in a game. Bailey Zappi, with the fake spike interception into triple coverage to lose the game, was just absolutely breathtaking to watch. I laughed so hard when that moment happened. And by the way, I had the perfect relationship with the Germany game today because they sent them Kansas City and Miami, the biggest game with the biggest stakes of the NFL season, that got to be played in Germany, and then they sent them this crap of Colts and Patriots. And I thoroughly enjoyed getting to sleep in and not have to think about 6.30 a.m. Colts versus Patriots until I saw that the score was 10-6. to I saw that the Patriots had benched Mac Jones for Bailey Zappi. I turned on the game precisely for Kirk Cousins' purgatory, and what I was rewarded with was Bailey Zappi, fake spiking, throwing the ball into triple coverage, and as soon as that pass getting intercepted, just releasing a hysterical laugh unlike any I have felt watching a football game, maybe all season. The Bailey Zappi fake spike interception was just the most chef's kiss perfect ending to what seemed like a truly crappy football game. Like, the Colts are 5-5, five and five, and the Texans are 5-4, and four, but I don't believe there's any world in which the Colts will win the AFC South. We talked about earlier on the show how the Texans might end up winning that division. There is not a world in which the goddamn Colts could compete for that division. They are just hanging out at 5-5, five and five, and they'll end the season at 7-10 and 10 or 8-9, and nine, and they'll be part of Get Up Out the Paint Week in Week 17 when one result is in the NFL will knock like seven teams out of the in the hunt graphic. That's what's going to happen to the Colts. The Colts are going to be there until week 17 in the hunt graphic is going to have the Colts and then they're going to get wiped out in week 17 by one result that knocks like four teams out of the in the hunt graphic. And it's especially going to be true in the AFC this year because like the AFC has like eight teams that are within two and four losses. It's absolutely chaos in the AFC right now, but I digress. Bailey Zappi throwing that interception to seal the loss while getting the Colts to 5-5, five and five, despite the fact the Colts didn't score. There were no touchdowns in this entire game after the first quarter. The final 49 minutes of that game were touchdownless, and it ended with the moment that will live. This is like the butt punt from last year. Remember when the Dolphins punted the ball off a guy's butt and it went out the back of the end zone? This is this is 2023's butt punt. Bailey Zappi fake spike interception. Again, I could talk about this moment into triple coverage. <laughs> I could laugh and talk about this moment 
for an entire NFL Monday show. And in fact, we just did it for six minutes in a segment that's usually supposed to be like three minutes long. It was just magnificent, magnificent to watch a fake spike interception and to laugh as hard as I laughed at that godforsaken incredible moment by Bailey Zappi. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday with occasional episodes dropping all throughout the week as part of our Wired Up series. Leave a five-star review. Downloads any and all support is greatly appreciated, and we appreciate that you continue to support this fine program that we have here. We will talk to you again on Wednesday. Thank you for stopping into the show, and as always, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.